This is W T M. Watch this movie. What? <laughs> How you doing? Oh, good for you. Oh, wait. Are you drinking up? First, you gotta do the Trump shuffle. Obviously, you're not a golfer. Watch a few movies, take a few notes. W G M. Watch this movie. Welcome back to a brand new episode of a WTM Watch This Movie. I am Eric Mulder. My safe word is keep going. Joining me, as always, is Mr. Positivity Wolfie T. I can't talk too long. I gotta poo. What's up? Not much. What's up with you, Brett? Uh, not a whole lot. Been going to the movies. Mm-hmm. Having some great experiences. Clapping <laughs> along with everyone else. <laughs> Oh, oh, I saw, I, I tweeted about my experience at the Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, mm-hmm. which the movie is fucking great. Still holds up. I love how sarcastic he is. Plus, <laughs> plus it has a, 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 a lesson about eating too much chocolate and chewing gum too much and being a brat and mm-hmm. watching too much TV. So... It wouldn't go over today. I'm surprised they're making a a, a prequel to it. You're not much of a chocolate guy, are you, Brett? Not really. I, I mean, I, I don't dislike chocolate, but uh, I don't eat it a lot. So, but anyways. <laughs> so, I was, I was sitting in the back row for that one at Willy Wonka. And there's two girls, maybe in their, probably in their 20s sitting down on the other side of the of my row to my left and uh they took up two reclining seats for each of them and uh the one of them closest to me kept like lounging in her chair and taking selfies yeah like with her back to me and then like she'd have the flash on so like it kept her phone kept flashing at me then she left like three or four times and came back. One time they went together and came back. And then like maybe an hour into the movie, they both left for good. And like they left behind all their fucking trash. They had like a huge thing of popcorn and one of them got a hot dog and they both had drinks. So like they had to spend at least $50 mm-hmm. to come take selfies for an hour and then leave. <laughs> Like I, I don't understand why why even bother. What's the point? Were they generation Z? I'm not I I would guess that they were in their twenties. So okay. I don't know if that's Gen Z yet. Right on the edge. Young millennials. Mm-hmm. They looked they looked like they're from the area. I went to the theater in Edina. Mm. So, so a bunch of cake eaters, huh? They they seem very cake eatery, <laughs> very cake eater behavior. <laughs> and you know all about cake eater behavior growing up in Woodbury. Oh wait a minute, time out. And then fucking AMC, you know, is a Fathom event, so like they they don't do the trailers before the movie. It, it had a like a short intro by Ben Menkowitz from TCM. Okay. But like they had the lights on the timer for the AMC schedule. So like they didn't shut off to like a half an hour into the movie. 
It's fucking annoying. Hmm. <laughs> what? Last time I went to a Fathom event, they, they didn't even turn the projector on. I had to go tell somebody. <laughs> Man, they re- AMC needs to step their game up. They do. They absolutely do. I think they're just getting lucky because all these other theaters closing down and funneling the business towards them. Yeah, I think so. I think that's part of it. They don't quite have a monopoly in this area, but... Uh... I think they they have probably the the biggest theaters, maybe maybe the most screens. Yeah, they're up there. Maybe I don't know. I'm just guessing. Anyways, yeah, today... we're not here to talk about Willy Wonka. <laughs> That's right. We are here to talk about Tony Scott, more specifically, Man on Fire from 2004. It is a remake. Of a film of the same name from 87 starring Scott Glenn. Have you seen that? Yeah, I, I bought it sight unseen off of uh, Kino Larber. Okay. I it's called. Yeah. Uh, and I watched it maybe a couple months ago now. And it, it follows the same story a lot more than I expected it to. But uh, Scott and- Glenn really lacks in the charisma department <laughs> compared to Denzel. And, uh, and it's set in, um, it's set in Italy. So that's a little bit different. And then uh, the friend, the, the Christopher Walken plays in, in the uh, Tony Scott version. That character is played by Sosa a, uh, from Scarface. <laughs> no, it's, it's played by um, Joe Pesci. Okay. Who, who appears to my best guess is he took the role just because you wanted to go vacation in Italy. Yeah. <laughs> he he doesn't right. seem to be trying very hard. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's definitely got a lot lower budget than the, the remake. It's, it's about an hour shorter. Yeah. So you, they, they really condense a lot of stuff and they couldn't do nearly as much cool shit with the revenge part of it as the, the remake. It's decent. It's worth seeing if you like the the twenty uh, or the two thousand four version. Well, just looking at the cast, it looks great. Like like you said, Joe Pesci and Jonathan Price, and I saw Paul Shinar, who is Sosa and Scarface, is in here. Uh, Danny Aiello. Who else? Looks like that's about it. But it seems like a pretty good cast. Yeah, a lot of these side characters or a lot of the uh, supporting characters don't get a ton of screen time. Scott Glenn narrates the whole thing. So that kind of diminishes it a little bit because it's uh, I, like I said, I think it's low budget and they, they didn't have a lot of money to get a lot of the uh, stuff they wanted to do. So it's a lot of just like showing Scott Glenn, like sitting around as he narrates his thoughts or, you know, what's going on. Yeah. So, but it's decent, you know, it's fun. Not as over the top. Scott Glenn, who was in Training Day, get shot by Denzel, who stars in the remake of Man on Fire. Yeah. He, that's how he got the role. He killed the original. (laughs) (laughs) Took his spot. (laughs) Is there a movie where Christopher Walken kills Joe Pesci? Because we could do the same joke. Mm, No. Not that I can think of. I don't think they've 
been in a movie together. Yeah. So let's talk about Man on Fire from 04. Directed by Tony Scott, starring Denzel Washington as John W. Creasy. Christopher Walken as Paul Rayburn. Dakota Fanning as Lupita Ramos. Was a Rada Mitchell. R-A-D-H-A. That would be my guess. I don't know if I've seen her in anything else. Yeah, I kind of looked up her filmography earlier. I didn't really recognize her from much. She was in a film I saw called The Frozen Ground with Nick Cage. It's kind of recent, but I don't remember her character in it. Looks like she was in some of the Silent Hill movies. She was in the remake of The Crazies. Yeah, seen her in that, I guess. Uh, Finding Neverland. Yep, I saw that when it came out. But Pitch Black, she was in. I've seen Pitch Black. I don't remember much about it, though. Continuing with the cast, we have Mark Anthony as Samuel Ramos, Giancarlo Gianni or Giannini as Miguel Manzano. I just remember him from uh, first two. Daniel Craig Bond movies. He's like a French contact to his. And like in Casino Royale, he's just, he's like the exposition guy for poker, <laughs> for the Hold'em <laughs> tournament that they play in Casino Royale. He just explains what's going on to the audience, basically. <laughs> That's funny. Because he's saying it to Ava Green, her character <laughs> in the movie. But he's like telling her how much is in the pot and what people need to win and stuff like that. That's good movie. Uh, that's good screenwriting. You always want to have a dumb character so you can have another character explain it to them, mm-hmm. but you're secretly just explaining it to the audience. Yeah, you need an audience surrogate in there. Uh, Mickey Rourke plays Jordan Kalfas. It's a weird name, Jordan Kalfas. <laughs> Couldn't get over that. actually i think uh growing up i knew a a kid who had a very similar name so i didn't think it was as uh unusual this is uh one of mickey works first movies kind of getting back into the swing of things because this is just before the wrestler came out and iron man 2 and uh what was the, uh, the sequel to was a Once Upon a Time in Mexico sequel to Desperado. That might have come out in 02 or 03. Yeah, that one came out in 03. Sin City was 05. So this is right in his, his uh, career renaissance in the aughts. Yeah. He also did, uh, he was in Domino, which is another yep. Tony Scott. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, because he pretty much wasted the 90s away. <laughs> Well, he got into boxing. I don't know mm-hmm. how, what his boxing career was, like how long that went. I mean, if you look at his IMDb, he did a quite a few movies in the in the nineties, but I don't know how many of them were like him as the lead. Yeah, but yeah, messed his face up and his voice changed from. I mean, you watch an eighties work movie and it's he's kind of a very soft voice. And after, you know, starting, I don't know, late 90s, early 2000s, it's all raspy. And, you know, but it's not as bad in here, but it's still pretty bad compared like to the, what he used to sound like. 
that's like Dave Chappelle. You know, he used to have that high pitched voice, and yeah. then he he went away for ten years, and he comes back, and like it's completely different. Like, mm-hmm. How many packs a day are you smoking, Dave? Because it sounds like all of them. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, people talk about Al Pacino's voice changing, uh, <laughs> kind of right around the time before Scent of a Woman. Al kind of went the other way, didn't he? Well, he just got he used to have a high. He used to have a pretty high voice. He did. And then he just started yelling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't know if Mickey Rourke could yell. Like I, I think he's got a one of the voices where like, he's got to talk soft because like otherwise it's like it's not gonna work. Mm-hmm. Uh, back to the cast, we have Rachel uh, Ticketon as Mariana Garcia Guerrero. She's the uh, reporter, but uh, she. Is best known from Total Recall, Melina in Total Recall. Also, she was uh, the guard in Con Air that uh, Johnny 23 tried to make Johnny 24. <laughs> nice. She's in oh, Falling she, Down, but I don't remember her. Is she, she's not the wife, is she? No, I don't think so. I'm not sure who she plays in there. It says Sandra, but I can't remember. Been a minute Characters since I names. watched that. Because I think the wife was uh, isn't she a white woman? Barbara Hershey was the wife. Okay. Sandra, maybe she was like the secretary. She was, or not the secretary, but like the uh, the rookie cop. She's also in Natural Born Killers. Not sure yeah, what she, she plays though. She's in everything, and I don't recognize her. I guess her scene was oh. deleted. That's what it says. Yeah, she might have been in that courtroom scene. Yeah, with Ashley Judd. <laughs> she gets a pencil in the neck. The pencil, yes. Uh, she's in Raging Bull. Yeah. Let's see. Let's finish off the cast. Berto Sosa is Daniel Sanchez. Jesus Ochoa is Victor Fuentes. The Armandad. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that'll do it. Synopsis. In Mexico City, a former CIA operative swears vengeance on those who committed an unspeakable act against the family he was hired to protect. So yeah, we don't really know all that much about Creasy's character. Do they even mention CIA? I don't remember mentioning CIA. Um I mean you could I don't know if they easily make that leap, but they said he was special ops. Yeah. But I don't know if they specifically said CIA. Like he, he had an army, army background, and then he did special ops. Yeah, but I, I don't know if they specifically said CIA. So yeah, it could have been hired by the CIA, worked for them, or like some other contractor. But yeah. yeah, I just figured they did a lot of, you know, black bag operations, committing war crimes all over the world. <laughs> He's very skilled in killing. Is mm-hmm. uh, I think. I asked you to get the clip, I think, but we'll we'll let Christopher Walken describe it later <laughs> very eloquently of what Creasy is good at. So yeah, like it starts off with uh, a uh, message on the screen. One kidnapping happens every 60 minutes in Latin America and 70% of the victims don't survive. And so it kind of... Yeah, I read that and I'm thinking... That sounds really light. 
because this is all of not just mexico we're talking latin america right i don't know how many people that is but it's got to be i don't know starting to get comparable to the u.s i mean every 60 minutes though and i would think there's at least one every 60 minutes in the u.s you know it's a bigger bigger area more people but it's 24 a day right yeah (laughs) my public school math concurs (laughs) I was going to divide it. I'm like, oh, (laughs) fucking stupid. (laughs) It's uh, it's, uh, 8,760 per year. That does seem kind of low, doesn't it? For all of Latin America? Very low. Especially because they're they're implying that it happens all the time in Mexico. Like, Like, there's at least like two or three a week. You know, by just La Hermandad. (laughs) (laughs) Just just the police commit that many (laughs) in a week. They're really portraying it as a very dangerous place. And just before I forget, I know it's at the very end, but there's another message at the end. I was wondering if you laughed as hard as I did. Uh, It says, (laughs) special thanks to Mexico City. A very special place. <laughs> I did. I did. I'm like, what a fucking <laughs> stupid thing to say. <laughs> Just, I know they felt bad about like, did like, they know accusing that of being they... like the worst place in Latin America. Like, did anybody know that's how they were being portrayed when they agreed to let you film there? <laughs> <laughs> like, by special, like, is that a euphemism? <laughs> <laughs> Like it's a very special quote unquote place <laughs> where all the cops are corrupt and everyone gets kidnapped and murdered and it, uh, nothing gets solved. You know, the, uh, the original one in 87, it was set in Italy and I can't remember when or where I heard this. It was after the, uh, the mini series about the John Paul Getty kidnapping. Okay. And they said it was inspired by that. And I guess there's a novel. They they wrote a novel that the movies are based on. Mm. And it was inspired by the John Paul Getty kidnapping. And uh, I think the, the one in the, the opening credits where they show them cutting the ear off was directly taken from the, the Getty kidnapping. Because I think he got his ear cut off. Okay. Actually, I think he like... Like they didn't need to cut it off, but like he insisted because his grandfather wouldn't pay the ransom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, well, let's guilt him and send a body part. And then then the grandfather is just like, nah, he can, you know, you can keep him. You know, <laughs> so because <laughs> that was the basis of the uh the movie All the Money in the World. Yeah. Is that that same case. The mini series oh, the Kevin FX Spacey film. Yes, the Kevin Spacey. <laughs> it would have been better with him. Yeah, I'm sure it would have. Probably. Actually, it wasn't very good because they they released it like a like within a year of the FX series, and like the FX one was so much better. Like uh, just overall, because it got more in depth in it, obviously, because they had like ten episodes. But uh, I guess that case was what kind of inspired them to to originally come up with this story it's different in that they have a little girl in both of the movies versus a like a teenage boy who's got a rich father mm-hmm. and they're uh 
it's basically an insurance scam at least in this one i can't remember if it's insurance in the, the original i think it is so and then the police are obviously involved so there's a lot of that shit um i did want to mention before i forget because i tweeted this out also the dvd i have of this i think i got it right at right right when it came out so like 2004 2005 whenever the dvd first came out has one of the sickest anti-piracy psas on it at the beginning of the disc mm-hmm. And I, I took a video of it and I tweeted it out. <laughs> but it's so old that it's discouraging people from buying pirated DVDs. Mm-hmm. Not even like downloading movies for free. Like, don't go <laughs> buy them off the fucking street corner in in Chinatown or whatever. You know? I think I actually have one bootleg DVD. Although maybe it's, well, you know, on second thought, I don't think I do have one. I have like a, like a Chinese DVD of on the waterfront, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, it might not be bootleg. It might just be a Chinese copy. Yeah. Although it's region one or maybe it's uh, no region. I'm not sure. That's funny. But this thing was sick. It looked like Tony Scott directed it himself. Like, it had this kick-ass fucking, uh, like, rave music in it. And, like, the quick cuts and the, the color scheme that he uses. And you know. Yeah, that's... We were talking about it earlier, and you pointed out to me that it kind of started with uh, uh, Enemy of the State. I forgot that he did that. Yeah. That is kind of where he started. Although I haven't seen Crimson Tide... I wonder if he started yeah. this at all with Crimson Tide. Yeah, I'm not sure. Like a lot of the stuff he did in the 90s, I haven't seen. So. He doesn't really do this at all in uh, True Romance. No, like between True Romance and Man on Fire, I don't know if I've seen any of the things that he's done besides Enemy of the State. Yeah. And that kind of kicks off his, his crazy editing style that. He would uh, embrace, and I haven't seen Unstoppable, but I'm guessing he embraced it all the way through till his untimely death. Yeah, he jumped off a bridge. Yeah. Now, he did. Did he jump off the bridge that they made the documentary of because so many people jumped off that bridge? Uh, yeah, or was that a different bridge? bridge? Well, the documentary is about the Golden Gate Bridge. Okay, I think he did it in San Francisco, but not from the Golden Gate. Now he did it uh, the Vincent Thomas Bridge in the San Pedro Port District of L.A. Oh, so it was in L.A. Okay, mm-hmm. I thought it was San Francisco. I found contact info and a note left in his car, which was parked on the bridge, uh, and a note at his office for his family. One witness said he did not hesitate before jumping but another said he looked nervous before climbing a fence, hesitating for two seconds and jumping into the water beside a tour boat. Oof. Well, maybe he was trying to avoid the boat. Yeah. <laughs> he might have had to, I guess, sidestep a little bit. What if it's like a uh, situation? Did you ever watch Grunt, the wrestling movie? Uh, n- no. 
I'm gonna have to challenge you to watch that because there, <laughs> there's a character that jumps off a bridge, like at the beginning, and like <laughs> they have like a picture of the bridge with a with a drawing of the where he landed. <laughs> like there's like a dotted line from the bridge to the the water, and then a big X, and then uh, there's there's rumors that he faked his death, like he didn't actually jump. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's uh, maybe Tony Scott's just chilling somewhere, just like got his feet up, like all those <laughs> suckers think I'm dead. Because uh, yeah, he died from multiple blunt force injuries. There's therapeutic levels of antidepressant uh, mirtazapine and the sleep aid zapaclone. During the system at the time of death, coroner's official said Scott did not have any serious underlying medical conditions and that there was no anatomic evidence of neoplasia, cancer, identified. But in a 2014 interview with Variety, Ridley Scott, his older brother, uh, described his death as inexplicable, saying that Tony had been fighting a lengthy battle with cancer, a diagnosis the family elected to keep private during his treatments and in the immediate wake of his death. So, hmm. I don't know. But maybe he just, uh, well, I said it was on antidepressants. It wasn't sleeping yeah. much. Seems that he has a couple parallels to the character of this film, the uh, suicidal nature. Yes. And also, um, later we'll talk about one of the worst dads in movie history. (laughs) (laughs) Did it make your list? He made my list. He was like number four or something like that. Okay. I probably (laughs) forgot about this one. So I, I don't know if he was on, I don't think he was on my, on my list. I can't remember who all unreleased WTM episode. <laughs> so this is at least uh, the second one that we've talked about from my list. So we did Nature Born Killers. Mm-hmm. Then we did this one. Did I ever challenge you to watch Happiness? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I might have to, and I think it'll bring you some. I think I've looked for that once or twice, but it's like one of those ones that like they never put it on streaming. Yeah. All right. Well, let's skim through the first hour or so of this movie because it is pretty long and not a whole lot happens in the beginning except for relationship building. Yes. So as we mentioned, Creasy gets hired as a bodyguard and he works cheap because he drinks a lot i love how open he is about that i drink <laughs> nobody is to hear about your drinking especially my wife and like the first thing that happens is his wife offers him a drink and he's like yeah yeah <laughs> give me a jacket water <laughs> <laughs> so how does that uh how does that affect you oh well, affects reaction time <laughs> very matter of fact <laughs> like the service you get is going to be on par with the pay because the plan is so like the plan is all it's all set up by his attorney jordan kalfas right so the plan is you hire an attorney or a, a not an attorney you hire a bodyguard so you can renew your bodyguard or you know renew your kidnapping insurance on your daughter and then well hold on that's another thing i wasn't so sure people should be doing because <laughs> you talk about like all the kidnappers that's one of the things they know about like oh we heard you just uh open this kidnapping insurance 
and it's a $10 million right. policy. So give us $10 million. <laughs> <laughs> it might well, be like leading to more kids getting kidnapped. Well, I think that's just like the deal. Like your kid's going to get kidnapped no matter what. <laughs> so like in a very special place in Mexico called Mexico city. <laughs> <laughs> so like, the kidnappers are like, we're going to make it easy on you. And like, we'll wait until you get your insurance before you take your, before we take your kid. <laughs> it's like, we're not monsters. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Samuel Ramos is, uh, he's a little hard up for money. So he can't afford to uh, hire a, like he can't afford to hire a good bodyguard after his, his old one quit. And his uh, insurance is coming up and they won't let him renew without a bodyguard. And then uh, the daughter needs a bodyguard to go to her Catholic school. So it gets Creasy on the cheap. Creasy says the performance is going to be on par with the pay. And he's like, whatever. Because the plan is, you know, they'll keep him a week and then they'll fucking just fire him. And then they'll, they'll have the insurance, but they won't have a bodyguard, which probably nullifies the insurance if they need it. <laughs> I assume that's a requirement so that if you don't meet that requirement that they won't pay out but uh so Samuel Ramos is played by Mark Anthony his wife is an American and their daughter is American there's happened to be a lot of Americans in this movie that just live there <laughs> yeah Christopher Walken moved across the border after he fell in love after the service are they the same age, Walken and Denzel? Because Walken <laughs> looks considerably older. <laughs> no, Walken's older. I guess uh, I guess blacked on crack, right? So he was winning Oscars in the seventies. So that's true. Denzel didn't come up till around the eighties. Makes sense. But I could picture Walken as like a commanding officer type, you know, lieutenant or something like that. Somebody who gives orders, but not somebody who's following him. He doesn't, right. <laughs> especially like, I know he's older and out of shape now, his character, but it's like, it doesn't look like even in his heyday, like he was combat ready at all. <laughs> I mean, he was in the deer hunter. Yeah. But he got captured. Mm-hmm. Big failure. <laughs> yeah. Obviously he got drafted. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it wasn't by choice. So anyways, the uh, the daughter is uh, Dakota Fanning. Character's name is Peta. And she she's head over heels for Creasy. She just loves him, having an American around, except for that he won't answer her questions. Mm-hmm. They do start to uh, they start to bond over her uh, swimming, which is her main passion over piano playing, much to the chagrin of her father. Who's paying a lot of money for piano lessons? Mm-hmm. In the '87 movie, she's not a swimmer; she runs track. Okay. And uh, they all wear elbow, the giant ass elbow pads and knee pads, and like for some reason, they run into each other and fall down a lot. It, it seemed excessive. <laughs> <laughs> like, like it seemed like unnatural. How many times? How many times the kids running a race and like three or four would get in a in a bunch and just fall down? Mm. But it's like the same type of thing, right? Like getting off the blocks and getting the good head start. So 
Yeah, those scenes really brought me back. The glory days, the early aughts, when I was just a terror in the waters for the Montevideo uh, high school swim team. Oh, were you? Mm-hmm. Went to this state the, two years. This is the first I've heard of this. Oh, you didn't know that? No. Oh, I was a big swimmer back in the day. I was the I mean, anchor on the uh, 200 free relay team. That's, uh, that doesn't sound very encouraging on a swim team. <laughs> This means I went last and I was the fastest one. See, now it sounds like you're the slowest one because you're dragging everybody <laughs> down. <laughs> doesn't it? It's a race term, not a nautical term. It doesn't work in a swim in a water environment. It sounds like a pejorative. No, like there's Eric. Uh, He's our anchor. But unlike uh, Lupita, I was really good off the blocks. My problem was... Uh, my turn, my flip turn. That was probably the worst in the water on a flip turn. That's why that was the fastest the in the water swimming and off the blocks. What did she say when he's teaching her? Like the gun is, uh, the gun will set you free and yeah. some other shit. She, she's Instinct her chance, and so. Don't be afraid of it. Yeah. And then she wins and like, he's her father for the day. Cause uh, the parents <laughs> went out of town. Mm-hmm. I like too, like the parents went to Detroit and then like, cause the, the dad is running some kind of car automobile manufacturer or something. He's trying to cut a deal with Ford. So they go to Detroit and they come back with a dog and she names the dog, Sam, which is her dad's name, <laughs> <laughs> which is also a dog's name. So like, yeah. it makes sense. Like you would name your dog, Sam, it's but it's weird of, uh... that you name it after your, your dad. It's the name of Riggs's dog in Lethal Weapon movies. Sam and Max have always contended are her dog's names. You do not name children Sam or Max. Yeah. There was that movie a few years ago called Max. <laughs> that was about a dog. <laughs> <laughs> so and that was funny that the, they named it after the dad. And then like nobody brings it up, like how weird that is. <laughs> <laughs> she names the bear creasy bear yeah her teddy bear she's not, she's not very creative <laughs> she, doesn't, she doesn't know a lot of names Peter, what are you doing uh, i'm just uh playing with sam he's licking my hand right now mm-hmm. your dad <laughs> <laughs> i bet i bet mom would do a lot of double entendres if if she had more time before her kid got kidnapped prior to this uh breakthrough in the swimming pool uh, basically denzel is just drinking himself to sleep every night <laughs> probably waking <laughs> up with like the worst hangover just shaking <laughs> he's got a driver to school he's like having flashbacks or nightmares or something yeah is he the first oh. thing like basically the first thing he says in the movie is to christopher walken saying thank god will forgive us for what we've done just like right yeah it really eases you into the into the story <laughs> nope <laughs> like we got to make up for lost time here we don't have a lot like- of time because we, we there's another two hours and 20 minutes left to go <laughs> and we spend that we spend 45 minutes swimming <laughs> sure I, I like too that like the old bodyguard left a parrot behind like he just leaves a bird that they named bird Speaking of pet names, 
and uh, Denzel just like he he just releases it to the wild, mm-hmm. and then like weeks later it comes back, and uh, Peter's like, "How did he get out of his cage?" And let him go. Yeah, he's uh, drinking a lot and battling a deep depression. Uh, tries to kill himself one night. Yeah, and then he calls up uh, calls up uh, Christopher Walken. Like, he a... failed at killing himself. <laughs> you ever have a gun uh, misfire? <laughs> like, you know, the bullet always tells the truth. <laughs> and it does. That's like uh, Rashid Wallace back in the day, the basketball player. You know, he, he had like the most technical falls against him in the history of the NBA. And uh, he'd be like, you know, the ball don't lie. So like if if he get called for a fall or something and uh, the dude misses a free throw, that's the ball saying that it wasn't really a fall. (laughs) Same thing here. If you try to shoot yourself and the bullet doesn't come out, it's not your time. Mm -hmm. Cause the bullet knows who it's supposed to kill. Well, Christopher Walken knows all about this. Okay. He's an expert. (laughs) (laughs) Spent a lot of time in Vietnam doing that very thing. I bet he consulted on the uh, the anal bomb later, too. <laughs> He's like, you know what? I've had a lot of things shoved up my ass. Very uncomfortable pieces of metal. So this plastic you know, explosive in this you know, smooth uh, this is. cylindrical plastic tube, that's, this is going to feel a lot nicer. <laughs> Only I had one of these in Nam. The watch, the watch wouldn't have been so dirty. <laughs> I, I didn't have time to clean it off. This watch <laughs> has been up an ass for the last 10 years. <laughs> it smells of spices from foreign lands. <laughs> Were they supposed to be in Korea? I forget. I, I'm trying to think the map on that. Or what? In uh, Pulp Fiction, like what war would that have been? Um, because because he was because Butch uh, would have been Vietnam. around 40, right? Like Butch would have been about 40 in 94. Yeah, it was Vietnam so, though, because I think he uh, uh mentioned yeah, I guess a, Hanoi, a Hanoi pit of hell. Yeah, I don't think the timeline math works out on that though. But that might be the case of how they wrote it. Could have just been in his 30s, too. Mid to late 30s. Maybe. Anyways. Should we get to the kidnapping? Is there anything else from the, the first half? It's, it's basically just like them building the relationship so that once she gets kidnapped, you, you feel really good about Creasy just fucking some motherfuckers up. Yeah, we could probably just get to the kidnapping. You know, we'll, we'll talk more about the style of this film, but I really like the way the shoot or the well, the yeah, the shootout and the kidnapping was shot. Like, I think yeah. it works really well here. Uh, everything's just choreographed perfectly. I wouldn't say it's disorienting, but it's because I mean, there's people coming from every direction, yeah. so it has to be a little disorienting. But I don't know, like the way he sliced everything together, I thought. Uh, worked really well added to the tension and uh made it a good action scene 
he kills four guys. He might have shot a fifth or sixth, but he's turned on different directions because everyone's shooting at him. He gets shot, what, three times? Yeah, I think so. It's a shot in the arm and the chest. I think he gets one on the shoulder. Yeah. So Pete is at her uh, piano class, and uh, Creasy had given her some advice to get out of it of burping every couple minutes until the piano teacher got so sick of her that he kicked her out. And somehow these, uh, these cops found out and they had perfect timing because she gets kicked out of the class real early. She's supposed to be there for an hour. And there's a uh, squad car, two squad cars block off the street. Mm-hmm. And then there's the a car that had been following them earlier in the movie that Creasy was trying to get the license plate for, which uh, Peter got all but the last digit. So that comes into play later, too. And so, yeah, she comes out, and like there's a shootout. Peter tries to run. She she ends up coming back after Creasy gets shot because she's like, I don't know what to do now. And they just take her in the car and leave Creasy for dead. But, yeah, like you said, the way they, they edit it together... With like, I don't even know how to describe the style of editing because it's kind of like Natural Born Killers, where like they just slice a bunch of shit together, like different mm-hmm. styles of film, and then they, they kind of blend them together, and then they they kind of repeat the same shot or like the same action from different angles and stuff like that. Yeah, which I don't know. Like I really like that type of filmmaking like it's really interesting to me definitely a lot of energy like so it's very kinetic fast paced keeps your attention because you're um when there's not when it's not an action scene it can still be very uh disorienting so wait what what because it's (laughs) zooming in and out different camera angles there's different filters yes some things uh, are louder than others and this, like, they'll have the text of what's being said on the screen, like a subtitle, even though it's in English. That's so one of the things that I like, it's too. Too, Sometimes it's too quiet. Sometimes it's loud enough, but they still put it up there anyways. Because, like, there's some stuff in Spanish that they have to subtitle, and then they'll yeah. switch to English, and they'll still, like, put it up there for emphasis. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow, that's that's weird. That's different, you know? Like, it's creative, like, and it's not, like, it's not boring. Like like a lot of these other filmmakers are afraid to take chances like that, but it is very mid-aughts though. I will, I will admit. I think uh like House of a Thousand Corpses was kind of a similar type of real erratic editing style. Yeah. A lot of different colors that they use like to kind of wash out the scene. Mhm. So it's it it feels kind of dated now because it's kind of fallen out of favor, but I don't know if there was a ton of people doing it as good as Tony Scott was doing it. Yeah. I guess they just kind of got out of hand for him. <laughs> I think there were other people. I think there were other people trying to do it. I think the Assault on Precinct 13 remake kind of tried to do it a little bit, but not, not nearly to the extent. Yeah. Yeah, I never saw his last few movies. 
the remake of Pelham One Two Three and uh, Deja Vu. I saw Deja Vu. He's he was still doing it in Deja Vu. Okay, um, but that one was also a uh, it was like a time travel movie. So um, like he could really play with the jumping back and forth and replaying scenes and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's it's pretty good. I saw it once. I liked it, but I haven't I haven't watched it a second time. But yeah, um, like I said, I like this movie for the most part. Uh, that sometimes the editing style annoys me or distracts me a little bit, uh-huh. especially if they're doing a lot of like freeze frames too, <laughs> and zooming like in and out rapidly. Like yeah. Denzel's face. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. Other times it's fine. I thought I got a big kick out of it. Not to jump ahead, but there's a uh, when Denzel is talking to the reporter on the phone after blowing up that uh, the club. Yeah. So she's sitting at her desk talking to him, and they have the camera. It's like a long shot, and it's on a dolly and it's moving uh, sideways, like really fast. <laughs> <laughs> and she's just sitting, right, <laughs> talking on the phone. <laughs> sitting at her desk and the camera just zooming by it's just like <laughs> oh it's hilarious so i was like that was unnecessary and does not work well it was so worth it though because it looks sweet whatever <laughs> <laughs> everybody takes it that they did of that yeah because there's other shots on that same conversation like close-ups and some of them are you know on tripods and whatnot and pretty stationary and then others just zooming by and real fast. <laughs> Wait, he's talking to her on a payphone, isn't he? Or no, maybe a cell phone. Uh, I forget. I forget if he's moving or not. No, I think he's. I think he's. Uh, he might be at a pay. <clears throat> he might be at a payphone. Mm-hmm. So it's not like he's like running. He like walked across the street, and I think he. I think he was on a payphone. Yeah. And then they like sat there and waited for. Her. So they're both standing and or sitting and the camera's just moving a 60 miles an hour. <laughs> Very urgent things going on in that scene. And for some reason, uh, they have uh, opera music from the opera that's in uh, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. And they also use a score from Gladiator in here. Did you notice that? The music from uh, Gladiator? Uh, might not, not be a score it might just be part of the soundtrack but they had a lot of different music like they had uh like the main theme like when he's getting ramped up it's that uh it's like a steel drum and then like guitar riff mm-hmm. I, I don't even know how to describe it yeah you you would know it if you heard it like like they play it when he's getting his guns and shit you know and then like like he buys linda rosad's greatest hits for some reason bow 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 and kill them all starts listening to blue bayou all the time mm-hmm. <laughs> i thought that was funny they didn't really come back to that though seeing he's going home going home to blue bayou <laughs> <laughs> so he told Peter. so yeah so he wakes up in the hospital is that lead to our first clip here there's seven clips all of them that you requested. Yeah. So the uh, the head of the kidnapping department of the Mexico City Police 
Fuentes. He's there and he's like, oh, he's under arrest for killing two cops who were off duty, but they were wearing their uniforms. Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, and in police cruisers. <laughs> right. Uh, he says the police are unofficially involved in the investigation and that the, uh, the family's attorney is negotiating with the kidnappers. Because they're accusing Denzel of murdering two police officers. Yes. So, although later he just gets removed from the hospital. Like, they just take him out. All right, let's go to our first clip here. And this is Samuel Ramos uh, talking on the phone with the kidnappers and uh, getting some random uh, drop instructions. Do you have the 10 million? Do you have the money? Yes, we have the money. Now, if you do as I say, the girl will be returned exactly as she was taken. But... If you deviate from the process in any way, Por la Virgen de Guadalupe. I swear, you will never see her again. I understand. Listen, I, I, I too worship La Virgen de Guadalupe. Please, I ask okay? if you understand. Hello, sir. This is uh, Mr. Ramos's attorney. He's going through a very difficult time here, but he understands. Do you understand? Repeat the drop instruction. Okay, the money, 10 million U.S., will be divided into two 15-gallon black canvas bags, each containing 5 million, which will be checked at the bank by the KR agent, then driven to the house in an armored car, where it will be transferred to the delivery car. You got a flat tire here. This for you. Hello. Yeah. Listen, I need a driver to drive somewhere. No. Why? He's got a bad ticker. He's got a heart condition. Look, he's a nervous kid. He doesn't respond well to stress. All right. But the car will not be powerful. Remove the trunk lid. Use the maid's valley in Acapulco. You will arrive at La Diana Fountain at 1 a.m. You will drive around the circle two times. Samuel will remove his shirt and hold it out the window to ride the car. Mm. There is a payphone on the southeast corner. The phone will ring. You will answer and wait for instructions. There is a map on the top of the phone. Follow it. Perfecto. Tranquilo. Oh, no. What are you doing? He said no phones. Relax, relax. I'm just trying to protect your daughter, okay? Okay. That's Fuentes. Oh, relax, relax. Just <laughs> trying to protect your daughter. Not tipping off uh, people to hijack the drop or anything like that. Right. There's an ambush at the actual money drop. People get killed. Money including the uh, kidnapper's nephew? Yes. The nephew of the voice. So we'll find out. They, they kind of unravel the whole operation. There's there's many layers. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we know the drop was botched. Uh, he says, may God be with your child. Because uh, he's going to kill her. 
We just assume that she's dead at this point. Yeah. Rayburn gets Creasy out of the hospital to his own like bootleg hospital. I don't even know. Is that his house or? Yeah, he said I got to get, which I didn't get because I thought he was under investigation for murdering two <laughs> cops. So right? I had to get you out of the hospital. I think the surprise the cops didn't kill you. I'm like, wait, what's going on here? Yeah. Well, I think that uh, so that reporter and then there was an agent from the uh, investigations bureau. What was it like the it's like the IFA or something like or mm-hmm. FIA agents so or AIF agency of investigation bed rally or something. Yeah, it was a Mexican FBI. Basically, yeah. And uh, so they got crazy good enough to start moving around and getting out. They go back to the scene of the crime. And uh, this is where he meets the reporter, I think, uh, for the first time. Yeah. Right. Or she was following him. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first time that he confronts her and she tells him about La Hermandad, which is the police organized crime or a crime syndicate or whatever, who, uh, who kind of runs all this shit. Yes, the Brotherhood. La, La Armandad. <laughs> so, uh, Chrissy's like, fuck it, I'm gonna go kill them all. <laughs> this leads us to our next clip where he asks uh, Raper for help. Guns. I need some guns. We'll be stateside by supper time. Right, I'm gonna need some help first, though, right? You don't stop bleeding. It's going to last a day, the shape you're in. Is that a yes or is that a no? Yeah, but I'm done killing. I told you that. Okay. Anything else is yours. You're talking about war, Creek. Exactly what I'm talking about. Can you help me? Yeah. Talking about war. Just casually, just casual talk of war. I'm done killing. It's like, well, I think Denzel did most of the killing. <laughs> sure seems like it. He doesn't have a problem with it. He's he's very comfortable with killing people. Mm-hmm. And uh, before he can get his money, he's got to go back to get his things from the Ramos. I like how he just like goes to the Ramos house and nobody cares. Like he's he's under investigation for killing cops and maybe involved in the her kidnapping. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they're just like, yeah, you can just come in and, and go get your stuff. And then you can go in Peter's room and look at her stuff too. Mm-hmm. And he takes her uh, diary with him. And uh, it's kind of funny. His, uh, what's her name? Lisa, the mom walks in on him and, Peter's room and she's like what are you doing here he's like oh I was missing my bible because they you know they bonded over his bible earlier she she had taken it to to console herself uh yeah quick aside to that um when he drops Pete off at school the first day and he has to sign in he talks yeah. to like the the head sister of the school the head nun the top penguin if you will <laughs> 
<laughs> like okay junior <laughs> um creasy makes it sound like you know he's not a man of god you know he's going to hell that type of a thing and she's quoting scripture and then he'll finish it and tell him or tell her exactly where it's from yeah this book chapter whatever verse whatever and uh he tells her uh, i'm the sheep that got lost it kind of stuck with me. I really like that line. Like with depression and whatnot, it's like something you, like a problem you know you have, but you just can't or won't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. Like feeling helpless. So I'm sure there's some parallels there between <laughs> Creasy and Tony Scott. But even to me, like uh, brought back some memories with uh, uh, Creasy saying that line. Darker days in my life. Yeah, I, I definitely see that. I feel like it's it's probably a little cliche now, but like I mean, it's still fucking like a good metaphor for yeah. a character like this, and for that type of thing in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could tell throughout the film that he is a very devout Christian. He's even when he's drinking a lot, he's still reading the Bible. Right. And every Christian should and basically does believe in forgiveness and everything like that. Yet he views himself as you know beyond redemption right. beyond forgiveness so he's that deep in a you know depressive hole that he still can't fathom even being forgiven mm-hmm. and the sheep that got lost but uh yeah we can get back to the scene at hand and that is our next clip right. what are you doing in here Came to get my stuff. Couldn't find my Bible. I thought it might be in here. I borrowed it. Okay. It's crazy, huh? One week we're figuring out which nightclub to go to, and the next thing I'm reading the Bible. It's a good thing you hold on to it. I keep thinking if... If only we hadn't. It's like um, my whole life, all I've ever thought about is what I could get for myself. My own baby. She needed me so much. Sometimes I felt like I had nothing to give her. Just, um, I don't know what to do. What are you going to do? What I do best. I'm going to kill him. Anyone I was involved, anybody who profited from it, anybody who opens their eyes at me. You kill them all. He's going to kill them all. He has nothing but hate in his heart and vengeance on his mind. Did you freeze? that clip. (laughs) You must have froze mid-sentence and uh, <laughs> caught up. We're both just waxing poetic about <laughs> what he's saying in the scene. And, <laughs> and then I looked out and you're just like frozen. And then your well, you internet were, you connection were, is unstable. I was just pointing out that uh, you can kind of hear the start of that music cue that I was mentioning earlier at the yeah. end of that clip. About now, now, now. 
<laughs> and it starts doing that because he's going to go buy all the guns. Mm-hmm. All the guns in Mexico. Some RPGs, some fucking grenades. C4 grenades. <laughs> Just like all of it. I forgot how thick her fucking southern accent is. <laughs> like, I don't remember her being like that much of a like a Texas Texas accent. Well, just over the border. I also thought it was weird that so Christopher Walken is living in Mexico. And what he does for a living is he ships Japanese folk back and forth between the US and Mexico to work at his factory. Because right. <laughs> they're afraid to live in Mexico, but they'll work there. <laughs> <laughs> totally normal so they, thing to get into for a you know ex black ops dude so they work for ramos right the japanese guys that he transport that's how he had to connect that's how he got creasy the job uh, i think so or at least the interview yeah. or whatever i like how creasy just straight up is like i'm gonna just do what i do best i'm gonna kill him even if they just look at me, <laughs> anyone that opens their eyes, it's just like kill them all. daisies. Kill them all. I want them dead. <laughs> well, the family's dead. <laughs> when his house burns to the ground, they go there all night pissing his ashes. <laughs> She's very vengeful. But then again, she thinks her daughter's been killed. So. So what he finds out about uh, the guardians from the guy in the car, right? Yeah. So I don't know what they call the guy in the car, but it's like the, the handler or something like that. Cause he was a cop, a dirty cop. I think they, well, the guardians weren't, but the other guys involved. Yeah, I'm just saying the, the first cops, guy that yeah. dies in the car, he's like, I'm a you know federal police officer or something like that. Yep. And, uh, so he gets he he gives the partial license plate to Mariana, the reporter. She gives him a list of ten cars, and like he just finds it, yeah. and then he hides in the back seat. There was that scene we didn't mention earlier where there was a car following them, and Creasy's writing down the license plate number, and so was Pita. Yeah, and, uh, he didn't get the last number, but she did. Well, he he couldn't write it down because he was trying yeah. to write it when he. Driving, he didn't know she died until the uh, until the end. Yeah, she 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 saw what he was doing, and then yeah, at some point she mentioned to mentioned it to him mm-hmm. before he got kidnapped. But he found it in her diary, so yeah. I mean, lucky him, right? Or lucky her, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so he takes uh, this guy up to like a cliff, like uh, just like a secluded area. And he strips him and he starts, uh, he, he tapes him to the steering wheel. <laughs> then he pulls his old knife out. He's going to ask some questions. And uh, he's not he doesn't fucking get answers. He's going to cut off fingers and cauterize the wound with the cigarette lighter. I, this was one of my favorite scenes when I saw it in the theater. It was uh, like he just, like before he even starts, like the guy says, I don't know. And like he immediately cuts his one index finger off. And like they show it from the outside, the blood splattering on the, the windshield. Mm-hmm. And then he uses the cigarette lighter, like he said, to, to cauterize it. He cuts like three or four fingers. 
um they do a similar thing in the 87 one but like they like show the beginning of the interrogation and then like the aftermath like you don't actually see any of the actual mm. like uh torture this one they show a lot of the torture uh so yeah he spills the beans about how things work informs them of the guardians and where they they can be found yep and then uh talks about the voice mm-hmm. who uh kind of runs the show but nobody knows who he is or where he is he's always the guy on the phone it's just the phone guy mm-hmm. and uh yeah he's like he gets all the info he needs and then he uh so does he just put the car in neutral and push it off or does he kind of put it in well, drive he shoots him in the head first mm-hmm. and then uh yeah, I don't know if he puts it in neutral or dry, but he, he rolls it off the cliff and it lands like right next to a youth soccer game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was just funny to me. That Mexican FBI agent dude notices the license plate is the one that because he's been he's been banging the uh the reporter on the side. Yeah. <laughs> like it's a mutually uh, beneficial relationship. Like they're mm-hmm. both fucking for information yeah because it's like anything that denzel needs she can provide the reporter she's like like she's like the nsa yeah she can just get everything somehow she got the hookup she knows everybody <laughs> Any it's always yeah no problem he needs yeah, no problem she's got it so they they kill that guy off mm-hmm. he's down and then uh you know, he's like, you know, I'm a professional or whatever. And Denzel's like, fuck this guy. You know, don't need him anymore. Heads over to the rave where he uh, kidnaps the doorman mm-hmm. and uh, takes him to the back where he, he finds three guardians. He's got a Mexican guy, an American guy, and a Mexican woman. Fucking kills the, the Mexican guy immediately. Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, he interrogates the uh, fellow American. And that's our next clip. Hey, man, I, I heard you speak in Spanish. You're American, right? And so are you. Yeah. Get out of here. Where you from? I'm from New Jersey. You from New Jersey? Yeah. I'm from New Jersey. All right, listen to me. All right, tell me how it works. The whole thing. Tell me how it works. Uh, all right, everything is done up by cell phone. You just wait around for calls and... We don't even have a fucking number. Who pays you? We got an ATM card. We take out 200 fucking measly dollars every two weeks. $200? Yeah. Okay. What's the PIN number? What? Pin, the PIN number. Yeah, the code I, number? It's, it's uh, 4747. 4747. Yeah. Good. You wouldn't lie to me, right? I'm not lying, man. Did you okay. kill You didn't kill it, did you? No. Oh, shit! Don't lie to me. Don't lie to me. Right. Did you kill her? Oh, man, you're making me fucking nervous. Did you kill her? No way. The fucking boss did or his brother. Who's the boss? Angela. Who's the boss? Tony. Who's the boss? Mona. You never see his face. You're not lying to me, are you? No. Goddamn, I'm telling you the truth. Tell me who. You never see whose face. Well, we were in the other room. And he was yelling at the girl because his nephew got killed and the money got stolen. 
Wait, wait, wait. Somebody, what, what, what? Somebody stole what money? The ransom money at the drop. Who? Who stole it? He said some fucking crooked cop took it. Who? Fuentes. Fuentes. Yeah, that's him. <laughs> All right. Huh? Jersey boy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. Listen, this Fuentes guy. Yeah. He's a lieutenant for the anti-kidnapping division. Fuentes is. Yeah. What'd you do? Hmm? Oh, man. Tell me about the girl. What'd you do? Huh? What'd you do? I just do what they told me. You do what they tell you to do? Yeah. Okay. Did you say goodbye to her? I, I, Answer sir. my question. Did you say goodbye no. to her? No. You didn't? Here's your chance. Say goodbye. Oh, shit. Say goodbye to her. Say goodbye to her. Oh, fucking let me go. It's like the first thing I thought of when he's like, who's the boss? Who's the boss? I go, Angela. No, wait, Tony. Uh, no, wait, Mona. <laughs> What was uh Lisa Milano's name on there? I don't remember. I didn't watch much Who's the Boss. Oh, he did? That wasn't that wasn't one I was really uh, a fan of. Oh come on, dude. And it was before my time. <laughs> and even awesome. the even the reruns I didn't care for that much. Yeah. But uh my favorite line was probably Oh man, you're making me fucking nervous here. <laughs> sure is. That's a that would be a good standalone clip. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So that guy's dead. <laughs> the woman like tries to save herself by like she's like I'll give you the girl. Like uh, he's like what girl? She says the girl. I'll give you the girl. Like show me. And it's a different girl that they had kidnapped. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they kidnapped another one. Like you know, in the meantime. And uh, does he kill that woman too? I think he does. Uh, I can't remember now. I think he kills her, and then like he he takes the the kidnapped girl out, and like as he's leaving the club, he's shooting his shotgun into the the ceiling, and people are like, like yeah, woo, rave, yeah. It's like some <laughs> of them can't even hear it. Well, it's like if they do hear it, like they're like. Yeah, they don't give like, a shit. This is fucking awesome, man. <laughs> fucking it, takes, awesome. It, was like, it took him like four shots to get people to move, really. Oh, that's because he like set up a fucking bomb in the, the fucking uh, office area. Mm-hmm. And he blew up the club. Sure did. And then everybody, everybody finally evacuated and they were cheering for the burning club. I don't think you well maybe you would see that these days maybe roof is on fire dude we don't need no water let that motherfucker burn so then what comes next oh what comes next is uh rayburn at the afi the yep. agency of federal investigations or whatever just I don't know why he's there. Like he's just there with the the agent guy who's sleeping with the reporter, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a great scene. Like it's a good soliloquy. Christopher Walken's really good at this type of thing. One some of my favorite lines in the movie, but like it doesn't really add to the story. I don't think really. But yeah, but yeah, uh, that's our next clip. Cool. I mean, we had to get some uh, record some sounds of. Christopher Walken licking his fingers very loudly. 
He does that a lot in this movie, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's like four scenes where he's he's eating or he's cooking and he's just <laughs> licking his fingers. <laughs> I didn't even realize that until you made you just mentioned that. Yes, he, he licks his fingers a lot. This is my jurisdiction. I want this man as much as crazy does. He'll deliver more justice in a weekend than 10 years of your courts and tribunals. Just stay out of his way. I blame him. I will even help him if I can. But uh, I'd like to understand him. Give me that. Peter Ramos. It's a number to you, you know. One more dead, but number. What was she to crazy then? She showed him it was all right to live again. So took that away, huh? And they're gonna wish they never touched a hair on her head. A man can be an artist, and anything, fool, whatever. It depends on how good he is at it. Creasy's art is dead. He's about to paint his masterpiece. You have no idea how hyped I got in the theater when Christopher Walken says, Creasy's art is death. He's about to paint his masterpiece. 18 year old Brett was looking around the theater going, Oh shit. (laughs) It's about to go down. It's about to go down. It's happening. It's happening. (laughs) Pants around your ankles. (laughs) It's like, man, he already did all that other shit, man. What the fuck's coming next? (laughs) <laughs> there was pants around someone else's ankles after this. <laughs> what happens next is he he fucking hides out in a uh, an apartment building waiting on Fuentes and his fucking convoy with a goddamn RPG. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought it was weird that uh, so it's a convoy, but it's only two cars. <laughs> well, I think there were three. I think there's one in front of his and one behind his. I didn't really see a third car because he blows up the first one with the RPG. Then he has enough time to walk. He was either on the second or third story. He walks all the way down out into the street and then throws a grenade underneath the car. But like in that time, the guy couldn't like go in reverse or just drive around and leave. <laughs> I think he threw the grenade under the, the other car in the, the convoy. So like he blew up the one with the RPG. And then the other one with the grenade. And then he, he carjacks Fuentes' car, is I think how it works. And so he, he takes Fuentes. I thought that was, that's how he got him to get out of the car because he was 
it was burning with that grenade because like when the grenade goes off it doesn't blow up a car it just kind of jostles it a little bit and starts it on fire well he definitely took fuentes's car i thought because yeah. i think fuentes was driving and he is the driver over opens the door and he shoots the driver immediately and then gets in with him yeah so i think there are three cars okay i forget how he uh not how fuentes gets uh knocked unconscious but when he wakes up he's in his uh boxer shorts <laughs> taped to the back of his car uh at the at the overpass like under the bridge where they they fucked up the uh the ransom drop mm-hmm. and how embarrassing for him he hasn't manscaped in a while it looks like <laughs> a lot of back hair and arm shoulder hair i mean that was the style in mexico then and forever <laughs> so then and now <laughs> Then now and forever. <laughs> so, yeah, Creasy explains to him what he's got up his ass, which is a uh, like an improvised explosive device in a like a little plastic cylinder, like elongated egg type of tube, and uh, he's got a five minute timer on it. So you better talk fast. He's the, he's the president of La Armandad. He's just, he's a professional. He is La Armandad. <laughs> so you can't fuck with him. I don't know how long you got on the clip or how much is on it. I guess we can listen to the clip and then uh, fill in. Well, we just say it starts out on. with him saying that he has five minutes. You know, he bought a pager. Right. That uh, will basically set off the bomb that's in his rectum. Which is plastic explosive and a little uh, whatever it's called uh, that people in jail used to smuggle in narcotics and stuff. Contraband. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I forget what they called that tube or whatever. But Fuentes uh, basically goes on about how how they they fucked up the ambush or whatever. Like like he set it up and they didn't like plan on killing somebody, but they did, and then. Uh, the bags were supposed to have 10 million total, but there was only two and a half million in it. Yep. And the rest was that. just paper. Okay. So I'll let him explain that and then uh, wish that he had more time. Okay. I got all the time in the world. You don't, but I do. Hey, relax, relax, buddy. I'm relaxed. You got three minutes, 59 seconds. I saw the opportunity. And I got lucky. And? and? And I had my men ready as we got instructions where to go. That's yeah, it. you had your men ready to steal a drop. You had your men ready to kill one of the kidnappers, yeah? You've done this many times. Kill that couple. One of the nephews of the head bingo. kidnappers. Bingo, nephew. bingo, yeah, bingo, bingo, yeah. Bingo, yeah. yeah, you've done this many times, huh? Many times, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Kill many victims too, haven't you? Come on, sir. We just make out as best we could. As best we could. Two minutes, 47 seconds. Uh, wait, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> come on. I, I have a little gift for you. For me? You got <laughs> come on, come on. What do you got? There was no $10 million. There was two and a half in the box. The ransom was $10 million. They put it in two bags, $5 yeah. million in each bag, right? Two bags, two, but, but one has half paper. The other, only paper. <laughs> 
Maybe a man stole it. Whoever did it took it before the exchange. Okay. At the Ramos house, before the exchange, you put the bags in the car. Guess what? What? Ramos lawyer, Jordan Kalfas. Jordan Kalfas? Yeah. Sorry, I'm really sorry for the girl. It was just business. You know, I'm a professional. That's what everybody keeps saying. I'm just a professional. Everybody keeps saying that to me. I'm just a professional. I'm just a professional. I'm getting sick and tired of hearing that. You understand me? What are you going to do now? What am I going to do? I'm going to leave. I got to go. Go? Yeah, I got to. Oh, come on, come on. What about me? Well, what about you? We've got 40 seconds. That's another one of my favorite lines. I wish you had more time. <laughs> I wish I could find more places to insert that in my everyday life. Because <laughs> I want to say it all the time, but it never really fits the situation. <laughs> yeah, that was a pretty cool scene for a 18-year-old Eric Mulder, I'll tell you that much. Oh, he does the he does the slow walk away from the explosion. Oh, so great. Oh, that's so badass. He blew up a dude's ass. <laughs> it's his masterpiece. <laughs> He's painting his masterpiece. <laughs> that wasn't even his idea. That was Watkins, of course. <laughs> what you should do is I'm done with a bomb up his but, ass. But the best way to kill somebody is to blow up their ass with a bomb, not your lips. <laughs> I eat the pussy, I eat the butt, I eat every motherfucking thing. <laughs> oh boy. We, we get walking two weeks in a row, so I didn't realize how many Tony Scott movies Christopher Walken was in. Because yeah. I think he's in a couple more too. And then Denzel's in like five of them. Yeah. So he definitely stays loyal to some of his actors. He, he goes to the Jordan Kalfas estate and somebody's already beheaded him and dropped him in the pool. Yeah, I saw that was a deleted scene where Samuel cuts his head off with a sword. <laughs> I forget if I've, it's been a long time since I've watched the special features, but I've probably seen that scene on the DVD. But, uh, that's funny that Samuel Ramos would have the balls to do that because he seems like a pussy throughout the whole movie. Because it, it seems like uh, he confesses to it when he can. I mean, we have the clip here, but he's like, Denzel says something like, uh, "What uh, talk to Jordan Kalfas or somebody already killed him, something like that." And he goes, "I did it," <laughs> and then he goes, "I did it. 
I set up the kidnapping for our daughter or whatever. Or I signed yeah. off on it. So then it's like, okay, he's just talking about the kidnapping, but yeah. Yeah. So Denzel finds out that there was a money exchange between Galfus and, and Ramos for like the exact amount of ransom money that was missing uh, because somebody was faxing Calphus uh, a uh, like a bank statement and Denzel just had to load paper in the tray. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, from there he confronts the Ramoses because he knows Samuel's involved, but he wants to know if Lisa knew about it. There was other deleted scene. I guess there was two deleted love scenes. One between Samuel and his wife, Lisa. And one between Denzel and Lisa. I'm glad they cut it because that doesn't fit with the story at all. It'd be very strange. I wonder if it was backlit in blue silhouettes. <laughs> <laughs> Where they linger a little too close, uh, a little too long on a, sh- a close up of his back where you can see all his back knee. <laughs> All right, here's the final clip. What's going on? That's what I want to know. What is going on? Huh, Sam? Let me ask your wife a couple of questions, okay? You move. You make one sound. I'll snatch the life right out of you, you understand? What happened, Lisa? Hmm? Were you in on this? Or was it just your husband? Huh? No, I ain't on what? You know what I'm talking about. Peter's kidnapping or death. Were you a part of it or not? Peter got killed because the ransom got stolen. Yeah, the money was stolen. You're right. He's right. Money was stolen by Victor Fuentes. How much was stolen, though, huh? $2.5 million, right? What are you talking about? He knows what I'm talking about. $2.5 million. That's what Victor got, isn't it? What are you talking about? $2.5 million. $2.5 million to your lawyer, Jordan Kalfas, that he put in an account in the Cayman Islands, but he won't get a chance to spend it. What happened to the other five, Sam? Huh? That's 2.5, 2.5. What is five from 10? That's five. What happened to the other five, Sam? Tell your wife. It's your chance to talk. What happened to the other five? You got a wife, Creasy? No, I don't have a wife. And you'll never know how hard it could be to tell your wife the truth. Is. No, you have a wife. You tell me what happened. It was in this room that my father prayed. You know what? I don't give a fuck about your my fucking father. My father prayed. He prayed that his gambling debts and his infidelities would be forgiven right in this room. Samuel! What, Lisa? I love you. Tell me the truth. I didn't inherit a kingdom. That's the truth. You want to know the truth? I inherited his debt and his mess. You and I inherited tell me his lawyer. What happened to my Jordan. baby? Say it! Say it! Say it! Jordan told me she'd sit in the room and watch cartoons all day. And she'd eat ice cream. And we'd have her back in two days. He lied to me! That's why he's fucking dead. I did it! I did it, Lisa! I agreed to the kidnapping! I did it for us! For the three of us!
So yeah, he just has a sword. And he takes over to. I mean, they're in Mexico City. It's not that hard to get a gun. Well, I could see Jordan Kelf as having a sword. He seems like a sword guy. Yeah. That's a good point. I, I could see that. I did uh, notice he said he inherited his dad's lawyer. So I guess uh, Kalf was uh, his father's lawyer. Hmm. He was the mastermind. Probably why his father was in so much debt. <laughs> that and he's a gambler. Bezzling uh, money from him. <laughs> probably so Denzel's like I'm not even gonna fucking bother killing you here's the bullet that I try to kill myself with the bullet always tells the truth <laughs> see what it says about you which is a little uh, risky proposition leaving uh, even though it's just like one shot you leave a, a loaded gun with this guy and then walk away and expect him to do the right thing I thought you were, gonna, you were gonna say it was risky because Samuel Ramos isn't privy to the conversation that he and Christopher Walken had earlier about <laughs> how the bullet tells the truth. <laughs> he has no frame of reference for what he's saying. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's right. Denzel tells him the bullet always tells the truth, but he doesn't explain the backstory. Yes. You'll you'll understand in a minute, or or you'll understand be dead when you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> so so this time the bullet's truth was that samuel ramos needed to fucking die because <laughs> he fucking let his daughter get kidnapped for money and then just botched the whole operation what a fucking terrible father oh my god i like how his wife just turns like vendetta immediately like like immediately she's like kill him kill them all kill my husband Kill him or I will. <laughs> what? Like, Jesus Christ, where was this the whole time? But uh yeah, they find out that uh Pete is actually alive though. And they uh they track down the voice, they find out who the voice is. Mm-hmm. And the uh, AFI bugs his house with cameras and audio. So Denzel uh, pays him a little visit, except for he finds his brother there instead. Mm-hmm. His, his brother, brother and, and his... his pregnant wife. Yeah, they go up on the roof to talk to the voice to set up an exchange. I like how he just shoots the brother's fingers off. Just yeah. like while well, he's on the phone, <laughs> I don't want money. <laughs> tear your family apart, piece by piece, piece by piece. They negotiate a life for a life, so it's actually like a life for two lives because it's Peta. For the brother and Tracy. Yeah. I will give you her life for although, your life. Although Creasy got shot going into the uh the barrio, didn't he? Isn't like it weird in? that the voice is always speaking English? It is weird. <laughs> Even like Samuel Ramos. <laughs> All he says in Spanish is the version of Guadalupe. Yeah. <laughs> Even talking to the Fuentes guy. Mm-hmm. Or you know, I don't think he talked to Fuentes. I can't remember, but yes, he's always speaking English, which is strange. So yeah, Creasy gets shot somewhere along the line, so he's bleeding out. He got shot right in the chest, actually. I don't know how he survived, like as long as he did. Like, I'm not but sure. he he powered through for Peta. I don't know. I don't know where he got shot, but yeah, there's also that close call when 
Uh, the brother tries to run him down in the vehicle and he kind of ducks out of the way. I wasn't sure if maybe he got something got pinched or if he got he hit got with clipped. something. Yeah. Maybe that's why he's bleeding there, but I don't know. Yeah, because the brother shot him, I think. Regardless, I think you're supposed to uh, leap to the conclusion that uh, his wounds as is are going to kill him. Well, he's only surviving to get PETA back. Mm-hmm. And then he can die. Yep. That's basically what happens. They go to a bridge for the exchange. He calls Lisa up, says, meet me here. And then he gives her a shotgun and says, hold this dude until PETA comes back. <laughs> Don't let him go. Because he's uh, like handcuffed to the door or whatever. And uh, yeah, they do the exchange. Everything's clean. PETA's 100%. She goes with her mom. Creasy, uh, I forgot that they just let him go in the backseat of the car. And then he just like dies. Like they don't actually kill him. Yeah. It's a very sad ending though. Mm-hmm. I almost shed a tear for him. Well, he, he was at home peace. to the Blue Bayou. He was at peace. You know, he had the, we didn't mention it, but uh, PETA had given him the necklace of um, St. Jude, I believe. St. Jude, the patron saint of lost causes. Mm-hmm. And he symbolically takes the necklace off in his hand and he drops it as he dies, signifying that he is no longer a lost cause. Mm-hmm. He's not a lost sheep anymore. <laughs> I, I guess he did a good deed by murdering like 15 people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It was for a good cause. And yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much it. Yeah, any other closing thoughts before we get into fun facts? Not really. I mean, it was just a badass movie. Mm-hmm. I'd give it uh, an eventually. I think now I would. When I first saw it, I would probably have rated it higher. But yeah. like within the first like few months of it being on video and on TV... I must have watched this like 10 times in yeah. like two months. And, yeah, I've watched uh, it a few times. And I, I oversaturated myself with Man on Fire and I couldn't watch it again for years. Mm-hmm. This is the first time I watched it in maybe 10 years. Yeah, it's probably been about 15 for me. So like, I needed to take a break, but it, you know, it's really good. But if you watch the same thing over and over again, you're probably gonna think less of it eventually yeah so it's worth seeing for sure hey everybody here's some fun facts so writer brian helgeland first saw the original man on fire from 1987 when he was renting videos in the late 80s he walked into the video store where quentin tarantino was working Mm. and asked what was good tarantino recommended man on fire video archives here's a fun fact uh, while in the film, Pita survives the kidnapping and Creasy dies at the end. In the novel, Pita is killed by the kidnappers and Creasy survives. Author A.J. Quinnell wrote four more novels featuring Creasy and was working on a sixth at the time of his death in 05. Huh. Uh, Denzel Washington was cast in this film because of a trip to, the, to a doctor. He ran into director Tony Scott in the waiting room of a medical office. and The two men started chatting. Scott had not seen Washington in person since they worked together worked together on Crimson Tide in 1995. Scott helped. Uh, Scott happened to see Dakota Fanning and I Am Sam the night before, and seeing Washington made Scott think of using them together. 
it's kind of a weird thought. Yeah. I guess it I mean it worked out. Like they they had a good uh like almost father daughter type of relationship in the movie. Here's a fun fact. In the original filmed ending, Creasy does not die in the car on the way to the voice's house. The two meet and chat for a while about the price of human life. Creasy continually looks down at his watch, and when the timer reaches zero, Creasy smiles, then the entire house explodes. This implies that Creasy used the rectal bomb that he used on Fuentes earlier in the film. Tony Scott cut the scene because he felt that it did not fit in with the tone of the film. And I would agree. Yeah, I, I like the ending. I like how they Denzel ended. can't put anything up his own ass, okay? <laughs> Things are only going out of there. They're not going in. Exit only. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the kidnapper's first names in the movie, Daniel and his brother, Ariello, uh, are the actual first names of real-life Mexican Mexico City kidnappers in the late 90s. Daniel and Ariello... Ares Mendy Lopez, the infamous ear loppers. Mm. Is that where Seinfeld got the whopper serial killer name from? <laughs> Maybe. Whopper. <laughs> whopper. Here's another fun fact. Oh, here's something that 212 of 217 found interesting. Mickey Rourke and Denzel Washington did not get along during filming. <laughs> Do they even have scenes together? Other than when he's dead and decapitated? <laughs> well, maybe this is why. <laughs> I guess. Rada Mitchell had three bodyguards protecting her when she was in Mexico for filming. She said they were hired after her driver was carjacked at gunpoint in Mexico City. Mm. Life imitating art. There you go. Such a special place. Here's a good one. Anton Fuqua was offered the chance to direct the movie, but he was already busy with production on King Arthur. Thank God. <laughs> Made the right choice. <laughs> <laughs> Here's another fun fact. So Mexico City's police chief, Marcelo Ebrard, helped with the movie and hoped it would shine a light on the kidnapping issue. So, I mean, I guess they... They're like, yeah, make the police look like pieces of shit because that's how we actually are. Mm -hmm. Here's a fun fact. Dakota Fanning had a stunt belcher because she couldn't do it. <laughs> Very important trivia. While filming in Mexico City, the police told Tony Scott that his crew was targeted for kidnapping. Several crew members were robbed at gunpoint. You know, the more I think about it, I think that might have been a sarcastic thank you to Mexico City at the end. Oh, yeah? So this says that the kidnappers are modeled after the infamous Arizmendi gang, who made $300 million in ransom in six years. There isn't a whole lot of details to that one, so take it with a grain of salt. But That's not a bad, uh, bad take over, what, six years, you said? Yeah. Not bad. Solid. So the filmmakers, uh, well, there's a couple of them about Tony Scott saying they like City of God. Mm -hmm. Kind of inspiration for the gritty visual style of the film. But I can kind of see that. There's similarities. 
especially uh there's some scenes in slums in uh, mexico as well just like in the favelas in uh brazil all right well i think that'll do it we're still going to do one more uh tony scott film and uh maybe recently seen episode before the month is out and then we're getting into our horror extravaganza that's right uh why don't you tell the folks at home about uh merchandise and uh update on your podcast well there's really no update on my podcast still okay. still not doing it head over to wtm watch this movie dot creator dash spring dot com hmm. pick up all your wtm merchandise that would really help the show it would it really would you could reach out to us you can email us at watch this movie at yahoo.com follow us on twitter at watch this underscore movie or bread at positively wolf one check out our website at wtm watch this movie.com and please rate and review subscribe on apple podcast stitcher spotify and many other podcast apps we will check you later all right, check you later. Bye. Wait, man, why are you always such a dork, man? What are you talking check about? Check you later. Check you later. <laughs> hey, man, you off my case. Don't fuck with me, all right?